We want to welcome you to our services here at the Boonville Church of Christ. I know that, that there are a lot of folks that will, will be viewing this service. We're so thankful that you are viewing it. We want to especially welcome those that are not members here that are part of our audience today. Thank you for being part of our service today. You know, our desire is to spread the Word of God throughout our community in any way that we can. We want to demonstrate that love. So if you have needs, please contact us. You can leave a message with the office or you can address any kind of questions you might have uh, to our email or also send a, a, a note to the Boonville Church of Christ, P.O. Box 28, Boonville, Mississippi, 38829. Thank you for being part of our service. Today, Brother Bo Gross will be leading our singing. Ken Forrest will be bringing the message of the hour. We're glad that you're part of the service today. Brother Bo. Sing along with me at home. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand. By faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's stable land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to scale the utmost high and catch a gleam of glory bright. But still I'll pray till heaven I found. Lord, lead me on to higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Psalm for open prayer, sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, that calls me from a world of care, and bids me at my Father's throne, makes all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, 
My soul has often found relief, and oft escaped the tempter snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, the joy I feel, the bliss I share of those whose ancient spirits burn with strong desires for thy return. With such I hasten to the place where God my Savior shows his face and gladly take my station there and wait for thee, sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, thy wings shall my petition bear to him whose truth and faithfulness engage the way soul to bless. And since he bids me see his face, believe his word and trust his grace, I'll cast on him my every care and wait for thee, sweet hour of prayer. Father and creator of this world, we're thankful that we can come together today to worship you. And Father, we're thankful for the many blessings that you bestow upon us, Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to live in a great country where we can worship without being molested. And Father, we pray that we'll always have that right. Father, we are mindful of those that are sick, those that are hurting. We pray that you'll be with Tyler Wright, Billy Mormon, Jessica Wentz, all of those that are members here that are suffering from the virus. Father, we pray for those that are going through treatments at this time, that you will be with each and every one of them, that you will touch their lives, and that you will heal them so that they can be back in your service. Father, we look forward to the day when we can gather together in places like this, and we look forward to the time where your house will be filled with people wanting to learn more about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we're thankful for the message that Brother Ken will be bringing to us today. We pray that you will be with him and his work here. We pray that he, his work will prosper and that many souls will be brought to you before it's everlastingly too late. We pray that you'll forgive us of the things that we do that are wrong, that you will help us to grow stronger in you, and that one day we can stand before you and you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. All these things we pray through Jesus' name. Amen.
Oatly Lockley. Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures, Jesus the perfect likeness to wear. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, Pure as thou art, come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, snap thine own image deep on my heart. Oh, to be like thee, full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender and kind, helping the helpless, cheering the fainting. Seeking the wandering sinner to find. Oh, to me like thee, oh, to me like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, snap thine own image deep on thy heart. Oh, to be like thee, Lord, I am coming now to receive the anointing divine. All that I am and have I am bringing, Lord, from this moment all shall be thine. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, Blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art, come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, snap thine own image deep on my heart. Psalm of our lesson this morning, anywhere with Jesus. Anywhere with Jesus I can safely go. Anywhere he leads me in this world below. Anywhere without him, dearest joys would fade. Anywhere with Jesus I am not afraid. Anywhere, anywhere, here I cannot know. Anywhere with Jesus I can safely go. Anywhere with Jesus I am not alone. Other friends may fail me, he is still my own. Though his hand may lead me over drearest ways, anywhere with Jesus is a house of grace. Anywhere, anywhere, fear I cannot know. Anywhere with Jesus I can safely go. Anywhere with Jesus I can go to sleep. When the darkening shadows round about me creep. Knowing I shall wake and evermore to roam. Anywhere with Jesus will be home, sweet home. 
everybody. It's great to see you as much as I can in my imagination. I'm thinking about this building filled with folks who've dedicated themselves to serving God. And I know that you're doing that in a limited fashion from your home. A lot of restrictions have been placed on us, but it's my hope and desire that all of us, even with these hindrances in place, will be the kind of disciples that Jesus has called us to be that we are all in tune with the will of God and we're doing the very best that we can under our circumstances to be able to satisfy God's desire for us to take on Jesus's mission and to satisfy it in our own place, in our own time. I appreciate the selections that Bo made because they kind of direct our thoughts to the concern that we're going to have this morning. I want to talk with you about some hindrances to discipleship. We'll be studying from the book of Luke, chapter 9. We'll look at, actually, the last six verses of that chapter. And we're going to be challenged by Jesus as he was challenging three prospective disciples regarding the hindrances that they faced in their own lives. But before we start that, let's pray together that God will bless us, that he'll help me to communicate, and that he'll be with all of us as we hear the word that we can make the right application to our life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that's ours to be here this morning and to study your word. We pray that all that we've done so far has truly been in spirit and in truth. And Lord, help us now as we study your word that it will be impactful to us. Help us be challenged by the word, not just to hear it and it flow through us, but really for it to find its residence in our hearts. Lord, help us really, really to be good disciples of Jesus Christ, to be exactly what he called us to be. And Lord, empower us so that we can, we can do our part in the expansion of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. <laughs> Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then this text says that Jesus directed his attention to another one. He said, follow me. He said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Then another said to him, Lord, I'll follow you, But let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I don't really know what your personal conception of discipleship is all about. What you think following Jesus entails. But when I look at the scriptures, I'm challenged by what I see. In fact, discipleship, at least from Jesus' perspective, is not just simply following after him. 
In other words, I guess in our time, I would say that being a disciple of Jesus isn't just putting a bumper sticker on the back of our car or wearing a T-shirt. Discipleship, following Jesus, entailed much more than just simply acknowledging Jesus. It actually had to do with a person taking on the role of Jesus, of submitting themselves to Jesus' plan, of adhering to that plan, and by extension of doing our part in our time for the expansion of the kingdom of God. So much more, don't you think, than just saying I'm a Christian. It's adhering to the principles of Jesus and following through of, of living for Jesus. Now, the Bible gives us examples of those who were true disciples of Jesus, of those who were that kind of deep, committed follower of Jesus. I would take you to the very beginning of Jesus' assemblage of his disciples. In Matthew chapter 4, in that text, beginning verse 19, you'll see Jesus calling the first of several of his disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. In verse 20, we see Peter and Andrew leaving their nets in order to follow Jesus. You see, they were fishermen. They had used those nets in order to, well, do their job. They're saying, in effect, in this text, I'm going to leave behind this job in order to be a follower of Jesus. In verse 22, same kind of thing happens with James and John. In that text, we find out, well, not only did they leave their nets, this text says that they left the boat and, and their father in order to follow Jesus. Now, in this case, leaving the boat and the father behind meant that they left a family business. No doubt their father had been a fisherman all his life, and now he was expecting these boys to carry on that legacy, to be fishermen. When Jesus called these former disciples of John the Baptist to serve God in the capacity of the kingdom of God, they left everything that they had in order to follow him. Same thing is true, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9, of Matthew there at the tax office. The Bible says that when Jesus called him, he left behind that office. He left his work he left his duty behind, his secular connections, in order to follow Jesus. You see, following Jesus requires more than just lip service. Following Jesus requires all that we are and all that we have. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, in that text, Jesus says, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. In chapter 14 and verse 33 of the book of Luke, he says, whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Listen, being a disciple of Jesus requires far more than lip service or a bumper sticker or a t-shirt. Following after Jesus requires all that we are and all that we have. Now, when Jesus was calling disciples in his own time, a lot of folks aspired to discipleship, I take it. In fact, when Jesus was in various venues, there were multitudes of people following after him. 
But here in our text today, we have kind of a glimpse into the conversations that took place between Jesus and prospective disciples. In this case, there are three. And Jesus highlights or pinpoints those hindrances to their discipleship. Now, I don't read through this and say, boy, those poor guys, you know, boy, they really had some hang-ups and shame on them. I don't look at it that way. When I read through this text, what I see are hindrances not just as pertain to those folks so many hundreds of years ago, but I see the same kind of hindrances that we face today. And I'm hoping that this text will maybe uncover some hindrances that yet remain in our own lives as disciples of Jesus and that we'll be able to take the instruction that Jesus gives in in order to overcome some of those hindrances. Well, I know that true discipleship is sometimes hindered by lofty expectations. So they're journeying along, and, and by the way, Jesus was headed to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. So he's progressing through the countryside, and you get the idea that this guy just kind of comes up on Jesus, and and he's like, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says to him, well, foxes have holes and birds there have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 19, we have a little bit more information about this guy. That text says that he was a scribe. I don't know if that means anything to you initially, but I want to remind us that scribes didn't just begin one day and say, you know what, I think what I want to do as my life's work is to sit down in a room somewhere and just copy scripture all day long. (laughs) That's not how that happened. They would aspire to that work, perhaps. And then... If, if they finally decided, maybe with the encouragement of their family, or, or maybe somebody else in the family had been a scribe and had encouraged them to be a scribe, however that thing worked out, eventually the person who wanted to delve into that work would have to attach himself to a great teacher of the time. Because, you see, to be a scribe, to work all day and copying text meant that, well, you were a dependent. Somebody's going to have to take care of you. So what these guys would do is find a a famous teacher of some stripe and they would affix themselves to them. And then in kind of a a mutual agreement, the scribe would say, now I'll I'll do this work, you know, if you'll house me, if you'll provide food for me every day. In other words, if you'll take care of me, then I'll take care of you. This scribe has come to Jesus, a great and famous teacher of his time, already got throngs of of disciples following after him. Multitudes are gathering, and this guy says, you know, he's the one. I I want to follow after Jesus. And so he says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. It doesn't matter what the circumstances, I'm with you. And I take it Jesus, as was seemingly always the case, knew this guy's heart. He knew what he was really after, somebody to somebody to take care of him. He says, let me tell you something, son. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. I, I, I don't even have a, a rock to lay my head on. I, I can't really take care of you like you're hoping I will take care of you. Your lofty expectation. 
several years ago, and boy, I guess it's been decades now. I'll never forget, when, when I was a, a young man, I was hearing the news reports about the first Gulf attack. Remember that Gulf War? If you don't remember it, you've probably seen some of the news reports or some of the history, maybe it's in the history books now, I, I don't know, but something that stood out to me about that initial Gulf War was that during that time, there really hadn't been a, a major conflict, that is the United States against another nation, for, for quite a while. And it was such that, you know what, really joining the military was really a great, great thing to do. Join the military, get to see the world. I remember seeing commercials during that time. That's kind of how they put it out there. Hey, you join this, you'll get, you'll get to go all kinds of places you might not otherwise be able to go. So you can join the military, you can see the world, and oh, by the way, also if you join the military, we will pay for your college. So you put in the time here, you serve your country, that'll make you feel good. And not only that, we're going to pay for college. And there were lots of people signing up. Oh, I want to be in the military. I want to see the world. I want to get my education. And then the Gulf War conflict. All those people who had signed up to see the world and to get a free education, many of them now were heading to an area of real conflict. Now, the headline that got my attention was that many of those who had signed up for all those perks now were vanishing. They were going AWOL, away without leave. Some of them, when news people caught up to them, asked the question, what happened? Why did you leave your post? Why did you run away from this responsibility? Here's what they said. Whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't join the military to fight. <laughs> I, I was looking to see the world. I, I wanted that education. Now stop and reason with me for just a minute. What does the military do? Is the military about seeing the world, getting an education? Military is about fighting wars. It should have been no surprise to anybody that if there is a conflict, you're going to have to go. The expectation was, if I do this, I'm going to get all these perks. For many people, signing up with Jesus is all about the perks. I'm going to go to heaven. But before you ever get to heaven... You know, there are responsibilities. There are expectations that the Lord has for you. Do you worry about whether God will do his part as you're doing your work for him? Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 and following, says, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to a stature? So why don't you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Listen, don't get the cart before the horse. Don't say, well, now I'll serve Jesus who you give me stuff. Listen, put the kingdom of God first. Trust God that when you serve Him to the capacity that He's called you to serve Him, He'll take care of all those extraneous things. For many, there's a tremendous hindrance here. Don't let your lofty expectations, your desire for the glory of heaven, or for the benefits that come in your Christianity, don't let that get in the way of serving God to your full potential, of truly being a disciple who gives all that he is and all that he has. I also understand that true discipleship is hindered by conflicting duties. So, in verses 59 and 60... You have Jesus giving his attention to another person there in that group. And he just simply says, follow me. And then that guy, you get the idea, maybe he's been thinking about it, so he responds to Jesus this way. He says, Lord, I'll follow you. I'll do that, but let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Boy, conflicting duties. I have responsibility here. I have responsibility here. I want to do both. I want to serve Jesus. I also want to take care of my family. i tell you what I'll do. I'll take care of my family first, quickly, get that out of the way, then I'll serve Jesus. Listen, I'm going to tell you, many of us are, I guess, in this boat, in this category, the conflicting duty aspect. Now, look at this guy. And I realized, wait a second, for Judaism, the idea of taking care of your father, if there's something higher than that responsibility, I really don't know what it is. You might say, well, serving God, okay, peace, yeah, serving God, sure, but as far as your responsibility to humanity is concerned, as far as being just generally a good person, you're going to take care of your family, You're going to take care of your parents, and especially, you're going to take care of the patriarch of your family, your father. Now, the text, when you get down to the nitty-gritty of it, you you can't really tell exactly, is it that his father had died and he needs to go take care of the funeral arrangements? Is it that his father is sick and nearly about to die and he needs to go home and care for him? It's not really clear. But what is clear is what Jesus teaches here. And that is, you have a responsibility as a disciple of Jesus to put Jesus first. Whoa, wait a second. Shouldn't I care for my family? Sure. But if caring for your family preempts, stands in the way, creates a hindrance to following Jesus, if you're going to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, the priority is Jesus first. Now, why is that? That is because if, if I offer up 
any kind of excuse, whether it is a legitimate one where somebody really needs my care or something that's offhand that I just make up, I'm missing an opportunity that may never come around again. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9 and verse 10, an interesting statement. It says that whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave where you are going. Now that comes across as a a kind of proverb, doesn't it? And what he's telling us is, when you have something in your hand to do, you better do it. And the reason you better do it now is because you don't know what's going to happen in the coming seconds, minutes, days, years. You have no idea. But once you die, once this life is over, then there is absolutely nothing you can do about it. Now, you say, as pertains to being a disciple of Jesus, I want to follow Jesus. Okay, when are you going to do that? Well, in this case, it says, look, I'm going to do it, but I'll do it just as soon as I kind of get things tidied up with my father. I've had people say, well, you know what, if, if I, as soon as I get everything kind of ordered up in my life, as soon as everything lines up perfectly, then I'll be a disciple of Jesus. Really, when will that be? Maybe never. Or, or how about this? Jesus is describing for us in Luke chapter 14 a scene where is the great supper. Now, imagine this great supper is the offer to come into the kingdom of God or ultimately that great supper of eternal life itself. However you want to picture it, it is the idea that the door is open, the exclusive opportunity is here, and you are being offered a chance to come on in. And so the invitation goes out, but then here come the excuses, beginning at verse 18. Well, some say, you know what? Got a piece of ground. I need to go check that out. Or, I bought these five yoke of oxen, but they need to be tested. Oh, hey, I just got married. I got to go see about my wife. <laughs> now, I, I don't know. That maybe this is just me, but I look at those excuses, and I think, how ludicrous is every single one of them? Are you telling me that you bought a piece of ground sight unseen? If you have, I've got some swamp land I want to do a deal with you. Seriously? That guy knew what was going on. Just an excuse. I want to put it off. Uh, No supper today. Or or the guy that had the five yoke of oxen. Really? You would buy ten oxen without knowing anything about them? Are you crazy? Again, got that swamp land. It's going fast. Or the craziest one of all. I got married. Now, now, if you go along with the progression of the first two, it's kind of like, well, I had never seen this woman before, but I married her. I better go check her out. Are you serious? Am I supposed to take that? Are you saying that your flimsy excuse is the reason why you don't want this supper? You don't want to come in? Now, you say, if I knew it were eternal life, or I knew it was a great supper sitting down with God, I would put aside everything. Listen, If that is true, then why aren't we doing it now? Eternal life is the thing that's in the balance. So I have to ask myself, what is it that stands in the way of my being the disciple that I've always known I needed to be? 
Is it my job? Is my job standing in the way? I can't tell you how many times. Maybe I've experienced a church member who was dilatory in their attendance. And I started asking some questions. I said, well, you know, I took this new job. It pays a lot more than my last job did. Only hang up there is that I have to work on Sunday and and several Wednesdays. But, you know, eventually, eventually, that thing will work out, and and I'm I'm working toward being at services full-time. Because, Ken, you know, after all, a man's got to live. Now, most people take that as an answer, and you know what? I'm nobody's judge. But here's something that I do know about that particular excuse. You say a man's got to live. The truth is, a man doesn't have to live. The only thing a man has to do is die. And after that, he faces the judgment. And as Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 reminded us, once that happens, there isn't anything I can do about going back and taking advantage of the thing that was right in my hand. The thing that is in our hand right now is discipleship for Jesus Christ. Not just saying that I'm a disciple of Jesus, but living that life, truly serving Jesus to the fullest of my capability, putting Him first in everything. You say, well, that was a tough choice for this young man who was seeing after his father. That's true. But Jesus is also the one who said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Wait a minute, Ken. Are you saying that that text tells us that I'm not supposed to love my father and mother and I'm not supposed to love my son or daughter? That's not what that text says. In fact, the scriptures teach us that we love them with all that we have. I mean, we're to put them on a high pedestal. But that pedestal is not higher no, it isn't, then our loyalty, our commitment, our discipleship, our connection to Jesus Christ. Put Jesus first, and you'll be the disciple that Jesus has called you to be, a true disciple. And then finally, true discipleship is hindered by divided loyalties. So we kind of get back to it where they're running to Jesus now. And uh, this guy comes to Jesus and says, Lord, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Okay, so, hmm, I got, I got people... Uh, people I love and I care about, all I want to do is just kind of go see about them and I'll follow you. And I would ask you, would you ever stand in the way of someone wanting to go back home, say goodbye? Probably not. I think about, think about that prodigal son. Would any of us have stood in his way after he had gone back into the world and had spent his fortune on prodigal living, when he came to his own mind, when he came to his senses, when he came to himself, and he decided, I'm going to go back home, would you have said, no, you you shouldn't do that? None of us would have gotten in the way of that. You go home. 
or, or what about Joseph? You know, Joseph, Joseph was sold into slavery. He had an opportunity to go back home. Would we get in the way of that? You know that you wouldn't. Or maybe, maybe a scene very similar to this. It's actually in 1 Kings chapter 19. That the scenario starts at verse 19. It's the case where Elijah the prophet, he's getting ready to be translated and go to the Father. But he is transferring his prophetic work to his protege, Elisha. And so he meets up with Elisha. Elisha has 12 yoke of oxen. He's on the 12th yoke working, and Elijah sees him. He puts his mantle on him. The intention is, well, you know, I'm, I'm indicating that you're going to follow in my footsteps. You, you come on with me. Or in other words, follow me. And Elisha says, okay, yeah, I'll do that. But let me go back and tell mom and dad goodbye. You know what Elijah says? Elijah says, okay, whatever. That's interesting. It's possible to do exactly what this prospective disciple was wanting to do. But Jesus, who knows our hearts, knew something about this young man, I suppose. And that is, if he goes back home to do that, you know, I'm moving on. I'm headed to Jerusalem. I'm headed to tougher times. You'll probably hear about that. By the time he finally says goodbye and gets his things in order, it'll be, be over. His loyalties will be divided and he'll most likely just stay at home. So in order to describe the challenge that this young man faced, he calls to mind an agricultural proverb. He says, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit, is fit for the kingdom of God. You are not fit for the kingdom of God if you're taking your eye off the prize. You're not fit for the kingdom of God if, if you're watching your work in the kingdom one minute and you've got your, your attention set on something else. And take the literal aspect of this proverb. Someone in that case was being pulled by this yoke of oxen. He's got his plow and he's got his eye on the furrow and he's got a straight row going on. Uh, many would say, well, you put your, put your eye on something distant, you keep your focus so that you can make a straight row. Hey, got it. But what Jesus says is, what, what we all know, if you take your eye off of the goal, you turn, well, you see what's happening? I'm pulling, I'm going to get out of line, things are going to go askew. You say, well, uh, that's okay, Ken, it's just a crooked row, it's no big deal. It might be no big deal to you. You say, I can have a divided... I'll give the Lord Sundays and Wednesdays. No, my Wednesday's busy. I'll give Him Sunday morning. Really? That's a crooked row. I've got a divided heart. Jesus says, if all I can give is my division, if all I can give is just a little bit, He says, we are not fit. Let that word, let that idea bounce around in your head for a little bit. Jesus doesn't say, hey, you know, just any old body and any old level of commitment, I'll take you all in. 
That's not what Jesus says. Jesus requires true discipleship. The giving of all that I am and all that I have. He says, if I can't do that, listen now, this is Jesus talking, not me. He says, not fit. Judas. Judas was a disciple of Jesus. He was not fit. He took his eyes off the goal. He, uh, he betrayed the Lord. Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts chapter 5, they kind of followed in the, in the footsteps of Barnabas. They, they sold some land. They gave the money. Now, they told the apostles, we've given it all. They didn't have to do that. But they lied, not just to the apostles, but to the Holy Spirit. And both the husband and the wife lost their lives. Not fit. But I tell you, when we are fit, when we set our mind right, when we decide, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus no matter what, when we set our eyes on the right goal, God will bless it. I think about the Old Testament uh, characters who, who set their mind on a goal and would not be turned to the right or to the left. Moses was one such. Joshua was like that, literally described that way in Joshua 1, 6-9. Caleb, his, his compatriot, was just like that. At eight years of age, he said, give me that mountain. Great characters of old set their mind and focused intently upon their goal. The Apostle Paul being one of the great, outstanding examples of that. And at the conclusion of his own life, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and following, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing fit for the kingdom of God. Listen, you aspire for discipleship, don't run out and buy a bumper sticker or a t-shirt. Nothing wrong with those things, but that isn't the measure of your discipleship. True discipleship requires absolute commitment of all that we are and all that we have. Sometimes there are hindrances. Maybe we get wrapped up in the hindrances that were described here. Maybe it's something else. Whatever it is that you identify that stands in the way of your putting Jesus first in your life, you've got to get rid of that. Maybe you just struggle with a few things. Listen, you still have life in your hand, don't you? Don't wait until it's too late and you can't do anything about it. There are changes that need to be made. Make them right now. Maybe it's something private. And pray the Lord He'll forgive you. Maybe it's something known by others and it's affecting the work of the church. Then confess that. Let's pray about it as a body. Let's get that behind us. Maybe it is you haven't even begun your walk yet. You know, you're, you're grappling with a lot of things. You're coming to the place where you're deciding whether to follow Jesus or not. Don't be like these guys and turn away. Make your commitment to serve the Lord. Give Him all that you are. 
and all that you have, you'll never regret that choice. Maybe there's somebody who needs to respond. I'm going to encourage you in these circumstances, contact one of our elders. Contact me. Let's make arrangements to get our circumstances right. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be together and to study your word. And I pray, Father, that you'll help us as we've examined these cases of discipleship that maybe we've seen ourselves here somewhere. And I just pray, Lord, if there are things lacking in us, that you'll give us the courage and the wherewithal to make the changes that are necessary so that we can be pleasing to you and get to the work. Thank you, Lord, for making it possible for us to be fit for your kingdom. Just help us, Lord, to get rid of those things that set us back. Forgive us when we fail you. Thank you for Jesus who makes our service to you possible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper, saying, Why did my Savior come to earth? Why did my Savior come to earth and to the humble go? Why did he choose a lowly birth? Because he loved me so. He loved me so. He loved me so. He gave his precious life for me, for me, because he loved me so. Why did he drink the bitter cup of sorrow, pain, and woe? Why on the cross be lifted up, because he loved me so? life for me, for me, because he loved me so. As we come to this part of our worship service together, we're reminded that the disciples were commanded when they assembled on the first day of the week to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, and we continue that practice today. Would you bow with me? Our Father, as we partake of the bread, we pray that we will remember the sacrifice that Jesus was willing to make, that he was allowed his body to be hung upon that cross, so that we could have the remission from our sins and have that hope for eternal salvation.
We pray that as we partake, we will remember that sacrifice. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's again bow. Our Father, we are mindful of the shedding of innocent blood of Jesus upon the cross. And we know that without the shedding of that blood, we could, have, we could not have the remission of our sins. And as we partake, let's remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Another part of our worship service is giving of our means. We have several opportunities for you to avail yourself of the, to give as you've been prospered. There's a box in the annex where you can leave your contribution. You can send it by mail to P.O. Box 28, or you can uh, take uh, time to uh, Make your contribution online. However you want to do it, please do that because it's part of our Christian duty to give back to the Lord. Let's bow as we think about our contribution. Father, thank you for our ability to earn money. And Father, we pray that we will be mindful that we are commanded to give back to you and help us to do it in a cheerful manner. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you for being part of our service today. We're thankful for Brother Ken for that great lesson on discipleship. And we pray that we'll take it and, and study on it. And it'll be part of our lives. We have several announcements before we close today. Several that we want to remember in our prayers this week. Tyler Wright, this is Kim Parker's nephew, was involved in an automobile accident. We need to remember him. Billy Mormon continues in North Mississippi Medical Center. Also, Jessica Wentz, this is the daughter of Wilda Gardner. Uh, she was involved in a horse riding accident yesterday. Please remember her. Marilyn Martin and Jonathan are continuing to recover at home. Please remember all of these, plus all of those that are facing treatments this week and those that have the, the virus at this time. Please remember them as you pray this week. The audio live streaming calls uh, that uh, for our Wednesday night lesson will, will be sent out on Thursday at 7 p.m. So if you are listening audio, uh, it will be Thursday at 7 when you, when you get that broadcast. The annex is open until 6 o'clock every evening. Uh, this is allow you to pick up communion supplies. You can drop off your, your contribution. Also, you can pick up a copy of the outline of Brother Ken's lessons. Uh, and you can pick up a bulletin. And if you look at the bulletin, you'll see a, quite a list of those that are sick. To, please remember all of those 
uh, as you as you pray today. The closed closet and food pantry will be open Thursday at 9 o'clock, and it'll also be open the next Thursday at 9 o'clock. This is our effort to reach out to our community to help those in need. If you're able to help, uh, I know Brother JT would appreciate anybody that can come and help him uh, at this time because we have a lot of folks that are out. Please tune in uh, Wednesday night. Brother Ken will be having a lesson on how to build a great church. And this will be part two of that series. Uh, uh, 7 o'clock Wednesday night will be live on our uh, live streaming. That's all of our announcements. If you would, bow with me and we will close in prayer. Father, thank you for the great lesson that we've heard today. Thank you for all of the things that you do for us every day. We know that we don't deserve everything that you do for us, but we pray that you will continue to bless us. We pray that you will help us to build a great church here in Boonville, and we pray that you will help to strengthen the church throughout the world in these uncertain times. All of these things we ask through Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>